Hey, my name is Zach, and this is the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, the podcast for tradespeople and the blue-collar middle class. I'm hoping to punch a few holes in the stereotypes that surround blue-collar workers and hopefully share a lot of the stories behind how we got into our line of work and the honest joy you can get from working outside of the office space. The plan is to mix in interviews as well as some solo stories from job sites, fatherhood, and personal experiences that led me to where I am today. Some will be funny, some will be personal, but hopefully any and all content here can help broaden what your opinion is of the blue-collar middle class. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to another week. I'm back. Uh, I have a lot to say this week. <laughs> I don't really know where to start. Had a great week off, a great relaxing vacation with the family, the kids, the wife, extended family. Uh, it was awesome. Spent some time up at a ranch, uh, one of the largest, actually I believe it is the largest unguided horse ranch in at least British Columbia, if not Canada, maybe even North America. Anyway, I was awesome. Got to see the kids really let loose, have fun outdoors. Um, I shared a couple of pictures to social media. Nothing too crazy. I mean, again, I'm not uh, that big on oversharing, but, you know, there's a really funny one of my... My kid really, my five-year-old really discovered how much he likes peeing outdoors, which has always been a favorite pastime of mine, and he he loves it. And then <laughs> today, actually, at home, we caught him uh, peeing in the backyard. We're like, buddy, there's a... A bathroom, you know, 20 feet away. Come use it. You know, you've got neighbors all around you. Nobody wants to see your bare little butt uh, running around the backyard and peeing in the corners. So that's something that now we're going to have to try to teach him that that's only acceptable uh, outside and, you know, in the wilderness a little bit. But it's it's been funny. And so there's a picture of that too up on my social media of him taking a leak in the middle of the woods while his brother's chasing him down. It uh, It got a good laugh out of all of us. So anyway, uh, I came into this week hoping to, you know, be full of positivity, full of energy, you know, stoked to come back to the podcast. And then, you know, we came back on the Saturday and then Sunday, I guess it would have been the 14th, August 14th, uh, we get the bomb dropped or August 15th, we get the uh, bomb dropped that we have a federal election coming up in Canada, a snap election, they call it. And for you guys who are international listeners, I apologize for the next few weeks. I think they're going to be pretty politics heavy, uh, mainly Canadian politics. I'm going to try to tie it in as much as I can to the U.S. because quite frankly, you know, the U.S. sneezes and Canada catches a cold. That's a pretty common theme up here. And uh, the way your guys' politics plays out has a massive influence on the way ours does, especially socially, um, just, you know, Uh, The division, it's really followed closely in line, which is kind of funny because in the U.S. it's primarily a two-party system, whereas in Canada we kind of have three main parties, but, you know, there's five five parties really vying for control or vying for votes, but it's just... It's a bit of a mishmash, right? It's it's a different system, but that division and that crazy level of bipartisanship, well, I don't know what you would call it with five different directions to go, but, you know, the, the partisan divides are growing deeper and deeper, much like in the States. And so, again, I have a, a lot to say. I don't really know where to start. So um, the other problem is, too, that I got a wasp sting right above my ass crack, square on the middle of my back, right at the, the base of my spine that's killing me. So I'm not exactly in the best mood today, but it is what it is. Um, that's what this week is going to be about. And, you know, one thing that, so before I kind of get into this political mess that we're in, and I, I do, 
you know, I, I don't think that's a, an overstatement by calling it a mess. This year's election is going to be huge. We just had a federal election in 2019. That's why this is called a snap election. It was called uh, midway through this term by uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of the Liberals. He's got what's called a minority government, which actually... I don't mind a minority government in control because it means that they have to actually cooperate and work with other parties to push their their stuff through. I mean, in, in our case, it's uh, it's not the way that I agree with it because of the, the coalition that he's forming in order to push things through. It's with the NDP, which is another party that's even farther left than the Liberals, which, I mean, in this day and age is pretty hard to imagine, to be honest. So... And what he's trying to accomplish here by having this snap election is to gain what's called a majority government. So he will have sole control. Now, one thing that's been interesting over this past mm, two years specifically, but even, you know, before that, when a lot of the scandals and the uh, the different things that were coming up, you know, if you want to, if you're interested in looking up at them, there's the WE charity scandal, there's the SNC-Lavalin scandal. And then, you know, he's had he's had a number of different ethics violations. I think he's the only standing prime minister ever to have this many um, ongoing ethics violations. So the idea is he wants a majority government so that the other parties cannot kind of gang up together to get these issues investigated and he'll be able to squash them in parliament. So his idea now is to, again, you know, under their own termed the the most deadly wave of coronavirus so far the fourth wave this delta variant to now pull everybody into the polls out into the public cram them together because him getting his majority government is that important to him and to the efficiency of government which you know it's it's gross um he's just it, this is a pure power grab that's all this he just doesn't want to have to play ball with anybody else anymore and uh it is what it is. That That's, again, that's really what this comes down to and what it, it smells like. Anyway, I and again, I don't usually like to talk politics, but over this next little bit, I don't think I'm going to be able to avoid it because it's going to dominate our media. It's something that I'm following very closely, and realistically, I think... I don't think that I'm going to have time to really research much else because I'm also trying to research it in for my vote and try to figure out where I stand on a lot of these policies, even though a lot of them I think I'm pretty locked in and set. I know where I stand on them because they've been kind of evolving specifically over this last 18 months with COVID. So I've had a lot of time to think about a lot of this stuff. So typically, I don't like to push my political opinions on people. Um, and again, you can take it or leave it. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't know how to word this. I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I am going to give you my opinions on what I deem are the most important topics heading into this election. And there are plenty of them. And again, you know, a lot of this stuff might line up with what's going on in the States. I mean, I think it lines up everything right now in this election, or most of it is surrounding a lot of the COVID things that are going on from the recovery plan, which is basically the helicopter money that the the liberal government has been raining down on everybody. That's the, their idea of a, an economic recovery is just printing money and spending. I don't know. It's, there's no cap on it. There is no limit. It just, we just keep printing money. You know, no thought to who's going to pay for it, how we're going to pay for it, or what this actual recovery is going to look like. And I'm waiting to see kind of what the other parties 
put forward for their plans. Uh, it's a bit of a mess. I mean, we're in a mess, so I don't know how long it's going to take to dig out of it, but we'll see what the uh, the other parties put forward as a platform. Um, but again, heading into this election, you know, I've been accused before. There's one episode in particular. I'm not going to mention which one, but I got accused of using hyperbolic language, which is not something that I want to do. Um, you know, some of you have seen uh, the discussion boards where I was kind of getting lit up on this, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I didn't necessarily agree with a lot of the opinions. I don't think that I was intentionally being hyperbolic, uh, but, and you know, but you learn stuff. That's not my intention here. I also don't like to be kind of a doomsday sayer because I think that that just tunes people out when everything is, you know, the the end of the world or this is the most important thing happening right now, then then nothing becomes that important, right? So it's important to emphasize points that are important um, without trying to blow them out of proportion, which is a very fine line to straddle. And it's something that I, I struggle with, you know, I, I don't, oftentimes I will underscore things that I deem are important because I just don't want to be that, that type of hyperbolic or, you know, reactionary, incendiary person to that kind of stuff. That's, that's not the way that I think things, you know, should be moving forward. I think you should take a, an analytical and a reasoned approach to just about anything. Um, that's kind of what's got us into this mess of incredible, uh, you know, social divides and bipartisanship. It's, it's blowing every little thing out of proportion and both sides are equally responsible, in my opinion. So I'm going to try to avoid that. But at the same time, like some of these, some of these discussions, and honestly, this vote is going to have huge ramifications, uh, at least nationally. I mean, I don't think that we influence the states very much or anywhere else in the world for that matter. Uh, again, the states influences us a lot, but uh, this vote is going to have massive, massive ramifications for our country, for my country. So I'm going to try to avoid blowing things out of proportion while still emphasizing them enough that you can kind of gauge my feeling on it. And it's, um, again, it's a bit of a tightrope for me to walk because I don't want to to go overboard, but at the same time, I don't want to underscore any of this shit. So anyway, that's a real big uh, kind of introduction to how I'm going to try to approach these, uh, this, this vote. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a whirlwind. Like we've got five weeks from when it was announced to when we're going to be voting here for our next prime minister or the next, you know, governing party. And there's a lot to go over. And uh, you know, to me, and I'm just going to lay out some of the topics that I think are most important in this election. And, you know, you guys can agree or disagree. But my plan is over the next five weeks to kind of dig into well, it'll be the next four weeks after this one, but to dig into some of these in particular, more. Um, and so I'm going to lay them out in this episode, uh, I encourage you guys to look them up, if you'd like to kind of follow along or get versed in these, uh, these kind of main voting points that we're going to have in Canada. And again, like, for example, I've got, we've got one, it's their bill C-71 and C-21. They're regarding firearm ownership in Canada. That's private firearm ownership. And they, you know, I think that'll be of a lot of interest to my American listeners in particular, and maybe anybody else um, internationally. But, you know, I, I've noticed that my downloads are primarily in Canada and the States. It, it makes sense. So uh, those are some of the bills that I think are incredibly important going into this election. So that's, again... Bill C-71 and Bill C-21, if you want to look those up. 
The next one is going to be Bill C-10 and Bill C-36. That's regarding freedom of expression, freedom of speech, um, the way that Canada regulates, um, you know, discourse and the way it's starting to, you know, especially Bill C-10, it's really trying to get its fingers into small broadcasters. So that's being podcasts, YouTube channels, Facebook lives, whatever, whatever it is. Basically, the goal of that bill is to regulate it as though it was were as though it were a broadcast program. Um, that means it's going to be subject to all the regulatory boards, and it it really is a stifling of freedom of expression. It's trying to squash kind of the little voices, right? Or more accurately, it's trying to squash any voice that garners any kind of audience. And again, that's terrifying. And then Bill C-36 backs it up with a lot of monetary penalties and different things that go along with it. So again, take a look into that. That's Bill C-10 and Bill C-36. The other thing that I wanted to take a look at was mandatory vaccinations. Now, this is something that Again, I'm sorry, I, I, we've got a lot going on in Canada, like it's just trying to stay on top of this ever-evolving political landscape. I, I haven't focused on what's going on internationally. I know in the States, there's a lot of talk about mandatory vaccines as well. But in Canada, so this was released uh, two days before, you know, uh, Trudeau dropped the dropped the bomb that we're going back to the polls. But uh, he's also talking about, and this is one of the main platforms moving forward in this vote, is the idea that we're going to have mandatory vaccinations for all government employees, and we're also going to have mandatory vaccinations for any domestic commercial air travel or traveling by train. I have a lot of thoughts on this, um, a ton, and it's going to be in its own standalone episode, but it's something that I actually have a discussion lined up this week. It's it's not going to be for the podcast. It's something... Um, it's, it's not going to be broadcast, but I have a discussion going on about this. Uh, uh, I want to pick some people's brains because it's, you know, it's pretty frightening to me. And if I could be, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but if I could emphasize one thing, it's the idea of having a two-tiered society. Um, that's terrifying. We have a lot of examples of where this has gone wrong, uh, specifically just in the 20th century alone. And it's... I can't really underscore this enough. This one really troubles me. You know, again, so do the other ones, like the the idea of Bill C-10 and stifling of freedom of expression or, you know, trying to take strip um, private firearm ownership. Uh, that's, again, these are all huge topics, but I'm, I'm trying not to, I'm, I'm trying to kind of gauge them and layer them in the way that I see them um, playing out and the importance kind of moving forward here. And the mandatory vaccinations has probably got to be one or one a um it's just it's scary uh, i i i honestly i don't care what anybody's stance is on the vaccine you know if if you want to be vaccinated i'm all for it you know if you don't if you're hesitant if you don't want to be part of this experiment while it's still in the emergency use use authorization stage i'm all with you you know um that's kind of where i fall on in the spectrum i just you know, <laughs> I just want to see this thing in the market a bit longer when it's no longer uh, in real uh, in reality uh, an experiment. So uh, anyway, again, but I it doesn't bother me. If you want to get vaccinated, go for it. Get vaccinated. You know, it's uh, it's no skin off my back. I'm willing to kind of go through life without that. And you know, I, I understand selfish old me, uh, despite the fact that I could still pass it on. I but I get it. All right, we've talked about this before. 
I understand that the idea is that it would prevent me from going to hospital and clogging up the medical system. All right, I'm, I'm aware of all this. Anyway, I digress. This is going to be a topic all on its own for another episode. But And the other thing, kind of the last, it's almost a little bit of a dual topic here that I was talking about, but the idea of negative partisanship. So what that is talking about, and I'm actually, I'm kind of pissed off because I had ordered a book Actually, it's funny. It was shared to me by uh, Matt from the Fumbled Penis podcast. You know, surprise, surprise, he actually reads. He's a lot smarter than many of you may give him credit for. But he had shared that he was reading Hate Inc. by Matt Taibbi. And that focuses on the way that the media has been um, kind of manipulating the masses to drive that wedge deeper and to divide people more and more. And uh, But anyway, so the idea of negative partisanship is that, you know, more and more nowadays, and this is... This is backed up by there was a there's a huge, huge article. I think it's by Pew Research that uh, I was reading the other day. I'm going to pull it up again by the Pew Research Center. But it's going off on all these different areas where and this is, again, specifically in the American uh, political landscape, but it applies directly to Canada. And at least in this Pew Research, they had numbers going right up to, you know, September of 2019, in most cases, right into early 2020 heading into your guys's last big election. And uh, whereas anything that I could find on Canada, the latest numbers that they had was from 2015, which, I mean, it may not seem like a big difference, but as you guys know, the last six years has done nothing to kind of uh, even out that divide. It's just deepened it and widened that chasm, right? So, so it's, but the idea of negative partisanship is that people no longer are necessarily voting for the party that they believe in or the platform that they believe in. They're more voting against the other side. And this is easier to see in the states because it's two parties, right? So you really have, you know, choice A or choice B. Whereas in Canada, it's choice A, B, C, D, and D, right? But still, it doesn't matter. And the idea, the, the reason why I hate this, and oh, sorry, so riding along kind of these coattails are strategic voting, which is another thing I'd like to talk about. And I may even get into it a little bit this episode. But so the idea of negative partisanship and strategic voting is that people are now no longer voting for who they believe in, or, you know, who lines up with their moral or ethical values. They're now just voting for the lesser of two evils. It's more, you're just voting against the party. So whoever has the best chance of ousting the other guy, that's who you're going to vote for which to me is just, it's a losing strategy in the long run. I mean, in the short run, yeah, maybe it works because I do tend to, you know, I don't fully align with this belief, but, um, you know, it's anybody but Trudeau is, is a lot of what's being talked about this year because of some of these measures that he's talking about putting in place. And while I do agree with that stance in principle, I guess, I hate the way that it's being talked about and the way that it's being pushed forward. It's more, it's all about strategic voting. So if any other party has any kind of a, a stronghold within your voting area, the idea is to just pile onto that vote to take it away from the liberals, which again, I I think as a long-term strategy is failing. You know, it's always picking the lesser of two evils. It's going to continually push the spectrum. So in Canada are three main parties. Yes, I know I said there were five, but there's three main ones who are vying for power. It's the NDP, which would be the farthest on the left, if you're looking at the spectrum. The Liberals, who are traditionally centrists, but good God, in the last six years, that has been pulled way, way, way far left. Now, so when they move left, that pushes the NDP farther left to, to appease their base. And then 
that pulls the conservatives who are on the right side of center i mean honestly they're just a hair shy right of center uh traditionally now they're more center or even a little bit center left that's again because the whole political spectrum is being pulled in one direction because everybody is just trying to take away that one or two extra votes from the liberals so this idea of voting for the lesser of two evils you know it's always going to push the spectrum in one direction and it's typically not the one that people are wanting you know if uh and again, okay, so going back to the way that it can be viewed in American terms, so the Democratic Party, obviously on the left of center, the Republicans are on the right. Now, the NDP are probably, I'd say, I mean, again, I don't know, I don't follow the American politics that closely, but the NDP are probably pretty close to the, the Democrats, whereas, well, they'll be farther left than the, the, the Democrats, because Canada is just a farther left country in general, which, again, I'm, I'm fine with whatever, I'm not, I'm not saying anything there. And then our conservatives are on our right side, which, but they would still be pretty far left of the Republican Party. So keep that in mind when I'm talking about this spectrum. Um, all of Canada's policies are quite to the left than the U.S.'s are. So just because we have a conservative party, they don't line up with everything that the Republicans stand for. And our NDP probably is farther left than your guys' Democrat Party. So keep that all in mind when I'm talking about this. But so anybody who has a conservative belief system, which I tend to be just right of center, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, monetary-wise, I tend to be a little bit farther right, you know, just right of center. Um, socially, I don't give a fuck what anybody does, to be honest. As long as you're not hurting anybody, then go for it. Be yourself. I, have, I don't think that anybody should stop you from doing that. Again, as long as you're not harming anybody, go for it. Um, uh, but when it comes to right now, the crazy economic spending and the, the helicopter money that's coming down from the liberal government, I just don't know how we're going to get a handle on that. So that's where I tend to be on the right side of what the liberals are doing. But uh, so anyway, so anybody who's got conservative values now, we're just trying to vote for the lesser of two evils, but it's still going to be pushing the whole spectrum away from the side that we want to be on. Now, there is another party in Canada that's farther right than conservatives. I would call them traditional conservatism. They're called the PPC, the People's Party of Canada. And, you know, it's interesting because the landscape in Canada has shifted so much in the last six years that this party now is standing basically where the conservatives were six to ten years ago, which, again, is not an extreme position to take. It really isn't. Uh, Canada has never had an extreme right side of our kind of political spectrum, and I still don't think we do, although now they're being painted that way. Another thing to keep in mind in Canada, too, is that our main broadcaster, the CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, is a crown, it's a crown company. So that means it's state-run for you Yanks. It's, uh, it's owned by the government. And just recently, you know, right before the election, surprise, surprise, uh, they got pumped $61 million into them. And so that's from Trudeau and the Liberals. And I think it's pretty safe to say that that's kind of greasing the wheels for the way the coverage is going to go over this election. And, I mean, we see it all the time up here. That You have a very slanted media base, which, again, I wish this book, Hate Inc., had come in earlier because it would have been fundamental to this week's episode. But I'm going to read it this week, so it'll play into the next four weeks of this, you know, political coverage, which... Again, I hate. <laughs> it drives me crazy, but I think it's 
it's really it's going to be dominating my mind for the next you know up until this election cycle runs its course so it's really only fair that I talk about something that's interesting me because then hopefully that comes across as interesting to you too I've already explained that before um, but yeah that's that's kind of where I'm coming from over this next little bit now just to dig a little bit deeper into the idea of negative partisanship because that's kind of going to be the theme of this episode is uh, well I'll read I'll read right now the definition off of Wikipedia. So negative partisanship is the tendency of some voters to form their political opinions primarily in opposition of political parties they dislike, whereas traditional partisanship involves supporting the policy positions of one's own party. Its negative counterpart in turn means opposing those positions of a disliked party. It has been claimed to be the cause of severe polarization in American politics. It has also been studied in the Canadian context as well as in Australia and New Zealand. Cross-national studies indicate that negative partisanship undermines public satisfaction with democracy, which threatens democratic stability. Traditional partisans, on the other hand, are more likely to support their country's democracy, which promotes democratic stability. Now, I don't think I'm going off on a limb here when I say that that is pretty evident nowadays, right? The the instability is rampant. Um, It feels like we're widening that divide, you know, every week. It seems to be getting... Uh, a, a deeper divide, a wider chasm. Um, it's getting harder and harder to build that bridge across. And that's not what the intention of these next few weeks are going to be. I, you know, I've said it pretty explicitly on this podcast before, but I, I don't think that's going to get us anywhere. I think the idea is that you have to start building these bridges back. And even in talking about different episodes where, you know, we talked about... Um, genocides or different points in history where one party runs rampant you know if it goes to the right we're talking about fascism if it goes to the left we're talking about communism both of them have always resulted in totalitarian governments right Um, I mean people can argue that communism has never been achieved but those people are fucking morons because communism leaves a power vacuum and that always gets taken by somebody with ill intentions and you know you can argue that till you're blue in the face but it doesn't really matter because history has a proven (laughs) a proven timeline of what happens when that takes place so again I'm not uh, I'm not going to argue that if you want to read a really great kind of um, satirical or you know it's just it's one of George Orwell's best books ever and it's a very quick read you can read it in a matter of three hours is Animal Farm by George Orwell. It discusses perfectly in the context of, you know, on a farm with animals, what happened in the uh, the Soviet revolutions. And that's terrifying. But again, I'm not trying to say that, you know, communism's at our doorstep because, you know, while I may be paying closer attention to that than some people are, I, I don't think that speaking in hyperbole or fear tactics is useful to anybody but it is good to be aware of that kind of stuff so and again if it goes the other way it's fascism which again totalitarian dictatorship so the idea here and the idea of building these bridges back is that you know there's something beautiful about democracy I mean yeah it's frustrating it's ugly it's dirty um, but and you know it's filled with tension but I don't think we should shy away from that tension that's what kind of keeps things in balance Uh, You know, you've always got differing ideas 
warring with each other, trying to hash out a middle ground. They're trying to find some way to compromise. And that is really both the beauty and the frustration of democracy. That's how we get to where we are. Again, it can be ugly, but you need to have these ideas pushing against each other. You can't have one of them running rampant. You can't get bulldozed to one side or the other. You've got to keep it somewhere in the middle, somewhere where you can still freely and openly discuss these ideas and where you can have you know, some semblance of a middle ground hashed out where nobody is perfectly happy. And again, that's what people may think is frustrating or you know, they, they may think that that's preventing anything from getting done, but it also keeps checks and balances in place. It, it stops a society from running rampant in either direction. So I know I've talked about this before, but to any of you who are new, I mean, I know even over these last two weeks since I released my last episode, you know, somehow new listeners found the podcast. So thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, especially to my Canadian listeners now, I I really suggest uh, if you kind of vibe with this podcast, spread the message about this because I'm going to try to be talking about some of these, these policies in depth. Um, the ones that, again, I find are the most important or the most uh, maybe dangerous or the ones that could have the the biggest ramifications moving forward. Uh, and I think they're important to talk about. And again, I'm not trying to speak in hyperbole or use any kind of fear tactics here. It's just that this kind of stuff, like it can become a slippery slope. I've talked about this before with my cousin Nathan on here in the early days of the podcast. And again, if you want to hear that discussion, and that was at the beginning of this lockdown phase where, you know, the idea of vaccine passports or mandatory vaccination was viewed as some crackpot conspiracy theory. Well, look where we are. <laughs> That's now um, one of the main talking points during this voting cycle. So, you know, it, it's it's funny. It's, uh, you know, you look back at it and all this stuff that was was viewed as conspiracy theory or absolute lunacy is now what we're voting on, essentially. And that should, you know, worry people, I think. You know, even a few months ago here, we had travel checkpoints in British Columbia. Okay, I wasn't able to move freely through my own province. We had different zones set up. Uh, now, luckily, and I think uh, I really... Uh, I felt good about this is the fact that, you know, there were many accounts from people going through these checkpoints. It was, again, in the beginning of summer. So when people are trying to go camping, trying to move uh, through the province, go to some remote camping site, which, again, I don't see how that is any threat to spreading the virus when you're you're going into the woods. But um, they would go through police checkpoints and they would ask them, you know, where are you going? And they would just say, I'm going for work because there were exemptions, right? If you're going for work, then... You know, what can you do? Um, but it was pretty evident that they weren't. You know, you're towing trailers, you're towing ATVs, you're towing boats, whatever it is. And the RCMP, that's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, turned a blind eye to it, which I found uh, to be, you know, it, it was awesome. It really lifted my spirits through that because, again, the idea of travel checkpoints and trying to, <laughs> like, like setting that up in the 21st century in Canada is frightening. And you know, I, I understand that it's being done under the guise of our own safety and our own health, but let's be honest, if you take that little bit of the equation out, what does it look like? 
I mean, and the fact that that was viewed as conspiracy theory three months, six months before that, and then it came into place. And now, again, four months later, we're talking about vaccine passports, uh, two-tiered societies, and mandatory vaccinations. Um, Again, it's just crazy how this stuff doesn't stay as conspiracy theory and it becomes mainstream talking points. So keep that in mind. Um, Again, I'm not trying to blow some whistle here prematurely, but just look at how far we've come. Pay attention to what people might, you know, where this slope leads and what people are saying that, you know, we, we could end up at. Because, you know, more often than not over this past 18 to 20 months, um, it's proved that this this path continues to get slicker and slicker. This uh, This little stream is turning into a river and we're really moving down a path. Um, again, you know, use your own discretion. Just look at it analytically. That's all I ask you to do. Like, don't, you know, don't take my word for it. Just look around. Look at what people were saying six months ago, a year ago, 18 months ago, and where we are now. So that's all I'm going to leave you with this week. Again, I'm sorry. I don't like doing political rants or political talks. It's not really something that interests me that much, quite frankly, but it is what it is. It's the cycle that we're going through now. And you know, who knows what happens, um, but in five, well, now four and a half weeks, we're going to find out in Canada as we go through this federal election. So again, uh, thanks for putting up with the week off. Sorry for the kind of tone or uh, <laughs> the mindset of this episode. Uh, I have a feeling that the next four weeks are going to kind of follow along this same path. Bear with me. We're going to get back to kind of looking at other broader ideas, but right now this is really kind of consuming most of my my thinking, my thoughts, and uh, it is what it is. So again, spread this to especially any Canadians, you know, I would really be interested in hearing that. And I'm, I'm interested in hearing how it is, you know, across the pond from anybody listening in the UK or, you know, American listeners, what's it like there? I mean, I can, I roughly follow the news, but now especially it's going to be mostly focused on Canada. So Have a great week, guys. I will talk to you again next week. And uh, yeah, hang in there. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you found some value in this week's episode. If you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, review, subscribe, and recommend the podcast to a friend. I really appreciate all the feedback you've given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook, at Jacket Plaid on Twitter, and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you all again soon.